Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. Hope you're alright after what has been, well, not the best week of all time, but you know, not the worst week. We've had worse weeks in our days. I remember that time that awful thing happened, remember? And we lost that game and then other people beat us and we lost and things. But it hasn't been the cheeriest of weeks given that we'd uh, we'd had a reasonably good weekend. There was a lot of positivity to be taken from the weekend against Manchester City. You know, even though we let the game slip, there was still that, uh, that part of you that realised we could have lost it as well. Um, uh, but to come from behind again, etc., etc., and, you know, played pretty well overall and showed some good character, and then, yeah, we didn't. So we will touch on that, obviously. Uh, but we do have a show for you. We've got a guest, as usual. We've got the winner of last week's competition, which was a chance to win the uh, the Paul Vassen book. Uh, right in front of me here, stuck in a moment, The Ballad of Paul Vassen by Stuart Taylor. We'll give you the winner to that competition. We'll probably also give you another book to win, try and lighten the mood a little bit. Um, another competition, why not? make somebody's week good, and all the other, you know, bits and pieces of waffle and stuff and nonsense that's gone on this week. Um, We're getting ready to face Aston Villa tomorrow, and that could be a tougher game than we might anticipate. We'll look ahead to that. Hopefully, by the time I finish recording this, we'll have some of the injury news, the team news. Uh, We're waiting on Jack Wilshire. He became the third or the fourth player to turn an ankle this season, Mesut Ozil did it against Leicester, went over on his ankle. Mikel Arteta in a challenge, I think, in Besiktas went over on his ankle. Matthew Debushi, as we know, that was uh, that was an unpleasant thing to witness. He uh, He's going to be out for quite some time. And uh, Jack Wilshire then in a challenge as well uh, towards the end of the game against Dortmund. So we're waiting to see what happens there. And we'll give you all the the uh, injury news, hopefully, uh, between now and the end of the show. So... Here we are, uh, just a couple of weeks into the season, and uh, we're down to five defenders. And, um, yeah, that's a real worry, isn't it? Especially given Monreal missed out midweek with a back injury, so that left us with with four defenders. And then Chambers was out with tonsillitis, and that left us with three defenders, so we uh, delved into our youth and reserves uh, to pluck out Hector Bellerin, to make his debut, his debut, or his start, his first start anyway for the club, um, in Dortmund of all places. And look, the young man did all right, but looked 
like a young man making his debut at a very, very high level in a team that didn't play particularly well. So, we, we, you know, we're not going to make any judgment on that. But I do think the idea that we didn't buy another defender simply because there was enough faith in somebody like Bellerin to step up, I'm not sure that really works for me. I think we used him simply because we had no choice, because we're so short of defensive options. I don't really see it as um, a huge show of faith in him, to be perfectly honest. Maybe the loan of Jenkinson, to a certain extent, did that. But I think Arsene Wenger, when he bought Chambers, I think he bought him primarily as cover for the right back. And he spoke about him as a defensive midfield player uh, at the very start when he signed. And maybe he had uh, plans to sort of groom him into that central defensive midfield position. But then saw that he could play at centre-half, then couldn't or wouldn't or didn't or something uh, negative anyway in terms of bringing in a, another centre-half to replace Thomas Vermalen. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure it was the most well-planned-out situation of all time. And uh, it's hard not to worry how that might cost us in the in the weeks ahead. Um But, look, what can you do? Dormant itself, it was a total shit-fest of a performance, really bad. Uh, I don't think you can make excuses for it. Obviously, there are things you can look at in any performance and you can say, well, maybe if we'd done this or maybe if we'd done that. But to me, it just came down to Arsenal not being able to do the basics, the stuff that they seem perfectly capable of doing against Manchester City at home, granted. But I don't think it should really make that much difference, whether you're home or away, when it comes to simply just passing the football to each other or controlling the football. And the the tendency we had to self-destruct has crept back into this team over the last six months, maybe. Towards the end of last season, there was a bit of that too. We saw the FA Cup final, for example, going 2-0 down to Hull City and going behind in the semi-final to Wigan to goals that you really shouldn't be conceding and... We spoke many times before about how this is a team that just has this great big self-destruct button that it can push at any time, but we seemed, for the most part, to to get rid of that. We had our horrible days, obviously, last season, but we had many more good days than bad days. And it looked as if there was more solidity and coherence to the team. They played with more confidence. They they knew what they had to do defensively. There seemed to be uh, an organization, an onus on the team ethic. We went back to basics and, and we got results. And uh, that seems to have fallen by the wayside a little bit, which is, uh, which is a worry. And when you concede, despite the fact Dortmund were all over us, let's face it, um, when you concede the goal we did just before halftime is just ludicrous. We need to be a much more cynical team. Flamini perhaps might have been a guy who would have stopped that move. But apart from that, it's hard to think of anyone in this team who would have taken a yellow card and made the foul on halfway or halfway between halfway in our box, make the foul. Sure, it might be something that drives us mad about other teams, the cynical nature of the fouling and the uh, the rotational fouling that goes on. But look, do you think they give a fuck what we think of them? No, nor should we give a fuck what anyone thinks of us if we do that. There needs to be more um, pragmatism. You can call it cynicism, but it's pragmatism, isn't it? That you do what you have to do to stop the opposition getting near your goal. 
Like if all the players that were running back with uh, Immobile were on yellow cards, then you say, well, look, they have to stand off. But one of Gibbs or Cassiani could easily have taken a yellow card there and stopped the move. May not have been enough in the end, but, you know, we've got to get, we've got to get into that mindset that you prevent the goal at all costs. Um, which isn't to say they didn't deserve it, but there you go. And, and some of the individual performances were worrying. Um, I know Arteta got a bit of stick, but um, I, I don't think you can leave a guy like Arteta at his age with those legs just back from injury. You can't leave him exposed the way that we did. It's not to make excuses for him, but that seems pretty obvious to me. Danny Welbeck could have put us one up. Would it have changed the game? Would it have sunk Dortmund again? Because this is what happened last season. They were kind of all over us. And then we scored a goal and was against the run of play and and hung on. So he had a great chance to make it 1-0 before they even scored. Had a great chance to pull one back uh, with about 10 minutes to go. I might have just put them back in their shell a little bit. Um, and I think when you're you're buying a striker for £17 million or £18 million, those are the chances that he needs to be scoring. I don't think a player needs to settle into a team to score those chances. Shouldn't matter who you're playing for. When you're put in that position as a, a top-level striker, you need to be scoring them. Mesut Ozil, totally anonymous, out of sorts, out of form, low on confidence, not playing where he'd ideally like to be playing. Um, and we'll touch on that, but it's just hard to figure out what's what's kind of going on with Ozil. To my mind, it's it's a form and confidence thing, but maybe there's a bit more to it. I think he's a brilliant footballer. There wasn't anybody who wasn't absolutely delighted when we signed him twelve just over 12 months ago from Real Madrid. Completely understandable to have worries about him now given the way he's playing, but it's just trying to figure out how do you get him out of this slump, how to get him out of this rut so he can start influencing games because he does have the quality to do it. The answer may, in fact, have come from a comment that was left on Arsblog News. And uh, I, I recreate that comment for you now in dramatic style. And I think this probably just gets to the heart of the of the Ozil issue. <clears throat> People doesn't who is Ozil. I will explain to you all. Ozil same like Zidane, real playmaker. Not like another he is playmaker, but real playmaker. I told y'all, you hater Ozil. Firstly, introvec yourself. Are you thinking you are perfect in this world? Fuck you. Introvec yourself. Don't look around, poeple mistake, damn it. You stupid fucking Ozil must playmaker. Now, um, regardless of, of how the comment was expressed, I think the crux of the matter is that this chap thinks Ozil should be playing at the number 10. Which is a sentiment that's Difficult enough to argue against, assuming that you would play Ozil at all at this moment in time. But there you go. Maybe, just maybe, if we play him where he's best, he might find some form that we all know he's capable of. Anyway, we shall see. Time now for this week's guest, the sports editor, no less, of France 24, which is in France and probably operates 24 hours a day. It's Dan Levy. Hi, Dan. 
Hello there. Let's start with what happened in, in midweek um, against Dortmund. It hasn't taken much to sort of scratch the surface of the the frustration people feel with the team. What we don't have, we, we might touch on in, in a little while, but what we do have really should have been capable of better against Dortmund. And it's to take nothing away from Dortmund, who played very well, but Arsenal really were the masters of their own downfall to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's hard to think, really, of a, a strong performance this season. And I feel that that was definitely the worst one so far. It's amazing how quickly all of the goodwill and excitement and optimism has, has almost evaporated, really, after you know some good results at the start of the season. Uh, but then some rather disappointing results and performances as it's dragged on to what is probably the idea now of that defeat away to Dortmund. I think what was so unnerving about it was just that how reminiscent it was, even though it wasn't the kind of scoreline we got in those thrashings last season, but how reminiscent the performance was of of, of the collapse yeah. uh, that we showed in those you know three big, arguably four if you include Everton, away Premier League defeats against, against the bigger sides. And, uh, you know, I was quite... Um, I suppose impressed by the fact that I thought, you know, if you look on just the scoreline, 2-0, people might have thought, oh, it's not so bad. But having seen the performance, you'd know it was worse. But I think the way that the result was reported or the game was reported, including, you know, on your blog, um, people really described it as a thrashing, even yeah. though it was only a two-goal defeat because, you know, we really could have lost by five or six and you wonder what, what kind of meltdown there would be around the side right now if that had been the case. Uh, and it came off the back of what was, I think, for the most part, a positive performance and a positive day against Manchester City, even though there was frustration at the end, given how the game finished uh, Arsenal seven or eight minutes away from, from uh, beating the champions at home, which would have been great for the confidence and great for, for everything else. Obviously, the points tally. Um and you're sort of looking at, well, look, okay, it didn't go quite as well as we would have liked in the end, but take the positives from that result. Go into the uh, the game against Dortmund with just that little bit more belief and a little bit more confidence. But um, it was almost like the negative. Um, everything that we did well yeah. against Manchester, Manchester City, we started that game extremely well on the front foot. We were, uh, you know, assured in our football. We were all over the place against Dortmund. So it's weird this... Uh, whether it's a psychological thing, like you like you mentioned, about being away from home against a good team. I mean, it was like the Dortmund game was the kind of extrapolation of the last 10 minutes against City, when yeah. the team, in a way, did collapse mentally. And I, was, I like you, was at the game uh, on Saturday, and, you know, you really felt like after that Debussy injury, and perhaps some people said that, that chance that Ramsey had to make it 3-1, um, Arsenal did kind of lose it, you know. Everyone was thinking, "Fuck, you know, we've now we've no longer got six defenders for four positions. We've got five left," mm. and and it really rattled the side. And um, it's hard not to think that it is, it is a psychological issue in a way, and perhaps a tactical one too, because um, you know, there's no reason that they couldn't. I think keep up that energy. It didn't look like a physical problem for them at the end of the City game. And I think what was missing in the Dortmund match compared to um, the City game was that kind of, uh, I suppose is alacrity, the white word, like the kind of the energy of the performance and yeah. how quick they were to close City down. I know we conceded on a, on a fairly fairly routine counter-attack, although obviously Navas's pass was, was sublime. And, and I actually thought that Aguero's finish was, was very, very smart. Um, you know, I thought we actually did defend quite well in places against, against City, you know, during that game. Uh, against Dortmund, it was... 
you know, it was just sort of total wide open boulevards, as we often see in this Arsenal side, in those kind of particular games and performances. And I was just re-watching the goals before we spoke. And, you know, the second goal, the Aubameyang goal, you know, the space between Mertesacker and Koscielny is, is enormous. And that's because Gibbs is so far forward. And, uh, and Koscielny's kind of gone across to cover. And Arteta's not close enough to the centre-backs either, I think. And there's just a sense that this side is, they can get a bit lost and I think that might be because of the way Wenger sets them up. I think he gives them a lot of freedom. And, um, you know, giving players freedom works when they're Pires, Henri, Bergkamp, Vieira, you know, when they're the best players in the league. And, and I think, you know, Wenger's, that's a positive about Wenger, that he lets the players become the best version of who they are. And he makes them sort of responsible for their own play and he lets them be as creative as they can be. Um, but it doesn't always work when you're up against better players you know mm. and we got away with it in fact we thrived and flourished uh, when we had the best players in the league and now that's not really the case because we're competing with obviously the resources of people like City, Chelsea and, and Man United the, the system is something that's come under close scrutiny because <clears throat> Obviously, there there are issues in certain areas with uh, with players that you might have hoped we could have upgraded um, during the during the summer. Um, but there's I don't suppose there's much point now in in dwelling on that because really we can't do anything we can't do anything about it. But the system itself now that Yepes has gone now that Yepes is gone, there's just yeah there's no hope. But <laughs> the the system that seemed to work pretty well for the most part last season there were some issues as we know away from home in those games but for the most part Arsenal played in a way that they appeared quite comfortable in and very effective in I don't think you topped the league for that long without being um, without being coherent you know, you can get away with it for one or two games or three or four games, but over that period of time, you've got to have a certain amount of coherence to your football and everybody's got to be comfortable with it. Now this looks like a team that isn't at all sure of how it's supposed to be playing, of who's supposed to be doing what, who's supposed to be where. I mean, do you have any theories as to why he's changed the formation so slightly? Because there isn't a huge difference, really, between 4-1-4-1 and a 4-1-2-3-1, which is kind of what we were playing. But maybe the, the gap between the 1 and the 4 is the big problem. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say to you, like, I just don't know why he changed it, to be honest. I think he just really was keen to fit Wilshire and Ramsey into the side. That's what it looks like to me, and, and it's hard for me to escape the conclusion that the issue is, it's very hard to fit Ozil in his proper position and Wilshire and Ramsey into the team. And, um, you know, it's the kind of problem in a way, the kind of good problem that we wanted this team to have. Lots of very, very quality, you know, high quality attacking players. And we can't fit them all in because goodness knows we've had times where we haven't had enough good players. Uh, but, it, you know, what is the point of a, a tactical system? It's to get the best out of the qualities of the players you have. And I think perhaps it's admirable that Wenger has tried to change the system to get the best out of, you know, Wilshire, Ramsey, and Özil. But it, it, it just, I think, has been to the detriment of Özil, yeah. and I think that's had a knock-on effect on on the rest of the team. I mean, I think you've often made the point that Özil is, you know, not just a guy playing in perhaps not quite the optimal position for him, but a guy just who's not in his best form. And I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, but I also think that the best way for him to play back into form is to stick in. And number 10, as sort of simplistic and reductive as that sounds, I just think you get the best out of him there. 
I know that when he plays wide, he comes into the middle, but it's a different mindset, isn't it? You know, he he knows that in a way he's responsible for protecting the fullback. He's sort of he's got a different view on the pitch, and you know, he said it himself. He doesn't like playing on the left because he's so left-footed and he can't really kind of cut in from the right-hand side the way he would do if he was on the right wing and he can't open up the game the way he would if he was in the middle. I mean, there is a difference though, isn't there, Um, going from inside to out um, as opposed yeah. to outside to in, where it's that you know, thing it, Wenger said about Pires and his vision, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. You know, but I mean, if you're central, you can go right or left. If you're stuck yeah. on one side, you can only go one way, um, yeah. which which might be re- restrictive. I mean, what would you do now with Mesut Ozil coming up this weekend against against Aston Villa? Um, would you start him centrally and try and get him back into form, or is it a case that at this point uh, he needs to? He needs to take a little bit of time out, um, but what does that do for his confidence? You know, it, it really is. I mean, it's a, he's the the most expensive signing Arsenal have made, and he's struggling in a in a big way. I mean, is there not an onus to try and uh, and get the very best out of him, or do, does the price tag not matter? You just treat him like another player whose form isn't as good as it should be. I think one of Wenger's strengths is that he sort of tends to know psychologically how to treat players and and what gets the best out of them and sometimes it's giving them a measure of freedom or a, a huge amount of freedom yeah. and sometimes it's um you know trying to uh trying to sort of fit them into a certain place on the pitch and um i think with Ozil, it's the first time i've ever thought that maybe he could do with a spell out of the side actually um but i'm just not sure that i mean it's for wenger to know whether that he's the kind of guy who'll react well to that yeah. and whether you know the degree to which he responds positively or negatively is is worth it for the you know in terms of the benefit it brings to Arsenal in the long term. Um, I think in a way a bigger question is what do you do about him and Wilshire and Ramsey? Yeah. I'm not quite sure how you fit all three of them in the side if you want to play Ozil in the middle, and I think Ozil kind of has to play in the middle. Um, you know the system last year, I mean it, it kind of worked because it got the best out of Ramsey. Um, and it provided, in, I think, a little bit more protection to the back four. And, you, uh, and yeah. obviously, the gospel. Sorry, to, sorry well. to interrupt, but I mean, do you think it's a case that given how effective Ramsey <clears throat> was further up the pitch, Arsene Wenger has now decided to, to play him further up the pitch? I mean, mm-hmm. for me, where, yeah. where Ramsey is absolutely at his best is... Um, He's doing all of it. Yeah, well, just storming from mm. those deep positions and getting into the box with nobody... When nobody's seeing him um, or nobody tracking those runs, and when we talk about uh, having a weakness uh, at the defensive midfield position, whether it's uh, Arteta or whether it's Flamini, I think we're a bit limited there. Yeah. There's also when you see the team getting overrun like they did against Dortmund, uh, an onus to address that issue as well. Would that not help solve some of the problems to move Ramsey back? further uh, deeper into the midfield where he he has been fantastic uh, his energy is great his tackling is great uh, his passing is much improved and he's still not negated from an attacking point of view um i mean that that strikes me as a sensible way to go i, I totally agree the problem is that what do you then do with wilshire because he doesn't i mean you ask him to play a little bit deeper and and wilshire play as the further forward of the two because i think the problem is that it's very hard to have them both in the middle if you have you know as a Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. At number 10, and, and yeah. uh, you know, unless you play one of them wide, and I don't think you can play them both without a, a DM behind them. And, uh, you know, I think the benefit of Ramsey was that he wasn't just an attacking player last season. You know, he did, as you mentioned, so much in terms of, you know, disrupting opposition play and interceptions, tackles. I mean, I don't have the numbers to hand, but, you know, he's a guy who got around all over the pitch. He was, you know, incredibly fit and can run up and down from box to box without really getting tired. And um, and I think you do lose that if you play him in, a, in that three with Wilshire to an extent. Uh, with someone like Arteta and Flamini behind them as well. I do think, you know, I know you said that the, the transfer window is gone and we should we should move on, but I haven't moved on. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, I do think if we've got, you know, you had someone like Vieira, you know, and he was more than, it was like having more than one player, wasn't he? He was almost doing the job of two guys because he was so physical and so imposing in the middle. And he was so good also at, at bringing the ball forward. And I think... If we'd got somebody like, you know, a William Carvalho kind of player, and we might have, you know, been able to free up uh, Wilshire and Ramsey a bit more, be it whether you play the two of them together or or just one of them alongside a guy like that in a two. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, we wouldn't be caught out so much on the break because, you know, these guys would, wouldn't necessarily be expected to get back and, and, and kind of be there to make those tackles because I think as much as I like Arteta, he kind of can't get there. He's not quite quick enough or not quite big enough. You know, yeah, the legs kind of aren't what they were even. Yeah. So I, I do think that that's a, an issue that might have been solved with personnel. Obviously that that's not going to happen before January at the very earliest. So mm-hmm. I would say my inclination is to go to a, a sort of slightly flatter kind of four, two, three, one. Um, but then I have to confess, I think then you have to choose between Wilshire and Ramsey to play alongside uh, Arteta. And I'd play Özil in, in at 10. Yeah. And also, I think the benefit of that is you get Cazorla wide and somebody like Sanchez or Walcott on the right-hand side. And, and I think that is the kind of balance that Wenger likes. I think he sort of likes having uh, a sort of, I suppose you'd call it like a, a wide attacking midfielder mm. and, and a winger rather than sort of having, you know, two wingers or or somebody like Ozil White who, who doesn't quite suit a wide position. Yeah, I mean, we're talk, we talk about it being a good problem for Arsene Wenger, and certainly the more good players you have, the better, you know, when you just say it out loud like that. But at the moment, it seems to be a a problem that's causing problems. Yeah, that's disrupting that, that, the way the team plays. Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't seem to be able to find the balance or know who to deploy or how to deploy them you know, to get the best out of the team because there's no doubt there's there's very good players and maybe it's still early in the season and, you know, we've got to give the team a bit of time to, to click or whatever uh, because there is a lot of attacking talent there and we've bought some good players. Um, 
uh, this summer, even if we didn't buy all the players we needed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's just down to the to the manager to try and figure out how best to, to make this happen. When Walcott comes back, he's got, not that it's another problem, but he's got another player there who's going to be itching to play and, and difficult to fit in the side along with everyone else that he might want to play. So And arguably has to play because, you know, in many respects, Walcott's probably the best finisher at the club. Mm. He scores a lot of important goals in big games. And this is without getting anything, you know, we haven't even mentioned people like Oxlade Chamberlain, who I think is, you know, is a wonderful player. And um, and people like, you know, Rosicki, who struggling to get on the bench. And, you know, mm. we kept, you know, I was quite pleased when we kept Podolski, but, you know, how, how do you fit him in? And Campbell hasn't even got on the other side. So, you know, it's nice to have all these options. Um, and we all say, well, Wenger's paid the big bucks to sort this out. He kind of isn't finding a way to fit them all in right now, and uh, and as much as I love Arsene Wenger, I uh, you know it's not his greatest strength, is it? Finding a tactical system that kind of fits for everyone. You know, I, I think he's always been at his best, allowing the players to express themselves. And as I said earlier, that works when they're the best players in the division. Now he has to get the best out of a collection of very, very, very good players, uh, but guys who will sometimes be up against when you're away at City and away at Liverpool and away at Chelsea, uh, a really, really strong side. Um, and you probably need to put in place there a system that's gonna, you know, when things aren't quite going their way, when they, you know, when they're trying to kind of improvise and it's not working out, give them a system that allows them to to stay solid and not get caught out. And I'm not sure that Wenger's brilliant at that. Mm. I mean, there was a point, wasn't there, when things were going really quite badly at the end of not last season, the season before, and we changed it. And, and yeah. we change it, and we went mm. into this kind of safety first, like we will not lose this game. That yeah. was the first thing, and that worked. It did, um, and it was quite enjoyable that period, wasn't it? Because I know we weren't <laughs> smashing teams, but we were just—you felt really confident that we were going to win. Well, yeah, I mean, We'd there was get a goal, and we hold on to it. The, yeah, some of those games I wouldn't necessarily say enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It was good that that the, the outcome of that, stuff, yeah, yeah, the outcome of that was that we we squeezed Tottenham out of the Champions League, and that, that was nice. you know, certainly enjoyable. But I'm not sure um, that that itself was enjoyable. But what what was was the fact that we took that into last season and seemed to 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 mold it into a system which also allowed us to attack, yeah. where we had this centre half partnership that was very good and and defensively we were good. On that final question, really for for now, Mertesacker and Kasiani, uh, as we know, were were a great partnership last season. Uh, they've been a bit hit and miss this time around and there are some mitigating circumstances because Mertesacker um, was back late from the World Cup and Koscielny's been carrying an injury etc etc but both of those players knew that last season Thomas Vermaal and the club captain was sitting there itching to play um, and he provided some real competition for them that pressure isn't necessarily there this time around because what they've got for not necessarily competition, but as backup, is a young man in Callum Chambers who looks very promising, has got lots of potential, but isn't going to isn't going to be uh, his outlook isn't going to be the same as for Marlon. Yeah, when he plays, he's going to be delighted to play. Um, but he's not going to be breathing down their necks. In the no, way. no, I don't think he he's capable yet of putting that kind of pressure on them. Yeah, would that be a worry for you? I mean, how can the state of our Defensive options not be a worry for any Arsenal <laughs> fan. I think you know, um, I, you know it is it is flabbergasting that we didn't bring in a, another centre back. We needed one when Vermaelen was here, you know. So Chambers would have been the ideal addition if we'd kept Vermaelen. I think. Mm. And as much as I admire Wenger for his um, the empathy that he has and the way he considers the careers and, and feelings of the players 
who play for him and I think that's one of the reasons players respect him so much and it's probably one of the reasons that some big players want to come and play for him um, it, it maybe should have just kept from Marlon because you know I know he was injured and stuff but you know we needed him and, and sometimes Wenger perhaps should put the needs of the team ahead of of the needs of uh, some of his individual players I mean you know we we just had to get somebody in and uh, and we didn't and it, and I think I suppose the direct question you're asking is do I do I think that it's perhaps something has gone from Koscielny and, and Mertesacker's partnership because they're not quite under the same pressure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. A bit I, early you know, to say, perhaps. Yeah, a bit early to say. And who knows what the effect of winning the World Cup and, and the physical fatigue as well as mental fatigue that that would uh, imply for Mertesacker is having. Um, I also think as well as a question about the way the fullbacks are playing. You know, we've, we've changed that back line a lot. And one of the benefits last season was the... Um, was the regularity with which they all played together and how consistently you had the same personnel there. Um, you know, I think Debussy came in and did really, really well, uh, but Sani was a guy that they knew inside out in many respects. Mm. And, um, you know, I think... I know Monreal's done well at the start of the season, but I just think we, we look a better side when Gibbs is there. It seems to, He seems to click slightly better with, uh, with the centre-backs. So I think we are you're sort of suffering from, from not having the same back four uh, out every game and uh, and as well they're not being properly protected so I think you know maybe it is time for you know us to sort of just slightly move back along the spectrum the spectrum between you've got this spectrum of Steve Bold at one end in my head and Arsene Wenger at the other and that period of all the 1-0 wins was, was Boldian, Boldian. <laughs> and, and then and then Wenger you know just said look I, I, it, this works then but I can't deal with it anymore I need to come back towards the you know the more attacking play that excites me, and and we got the balance right last season, but maybe we've gone too Vengerian this time around. Mm, or Vengerish, right. Vengerish. Uh, very quickly, uh, rather than sort of uh, continue with with <laughs> with this, which is not gloomy analysis, but but it fits the mood of the week. But obviously, Aston Villa away from home uh, on Saturday. I mean. Can the team lift themselves for that? Um, Villa have been curiously effective in the in the first uh, first games of the season, um, but will Arsenal be looking forward to uh, to facing Philippe Senderos again? <laughs> yeah, he owes us, doesn't he? He could score a couple of own goals, I think. Um, well, he I did, did like that already, Senderos. didn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that you know they've got a. It's hard to be super optimistic about it because they're going away to a side that are playing well. But that won't in the in the sort of hearts and minds of many fans, um, you know, there will be a side that we should beat. So if we beat them, in the way that people think, oh, we we should have beaten them, you know, and, and the players might think that as well. Whereas actually, you know, it would be quite a feat to go there and win, considering how bad our form is and how good theirs is. Yeah. Um, so I think in a way, there's not that much to gain apart from three points. It's not like it, you know, if we'd beaten City, the players would have said, bloody hell, you know, we beat the champions, and perhaps the confidence would have come flooding back. Uh, having said that, an away win is, is still confidence boosting for any side, and, and I think you know I'm not feeling super confident about it to be honest. Um, you know, I'd take any kind of victory, and uh, and I think overall I probably would like to see as well start because as well, if, if his problem is uh, is one of physical fitness and not quite being 100, percent he probably needs to play games to get that, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So, and you got you got to you got to you know reward him. I mean, it'd be typically Wenger thing to do to give him a new contract now, wouldn't it? You know, <laughs> kind of perfect time like he did to Ramsey. So maybe a new contract for us ahead of a, a, a convincing win on Saturday. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think they've got to go into it thinking they can win. Uh, but my concern is that it's probably a lot harder game than it looks on paper. All right. Uh, Dan Levy, we better leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Andrew. 
Thank you to Dan. Uh, apologies if there was a bit of echo on his end of things there, but that's technology for you sometimes. It's it's out of our hands, really. It was a Skype issue, and Skype, as we know, is um, owned by Microsoft, so we might as well blame Microsoft. Uh, we could blame Bill Gates, because he invented Microsoft. Or we could blame his son, Gareth Gates, who was named after Gareth Southgate. So essentially what I'm saying is we should blame blame it all on Gareth Southgate, more or less. I think that would do. In a pinch, if it came down to it and somebody said, uh, who did that? And you went, Gareth Southgate. They'd be like, okay, he seems like the kind of person who would do that. Looks like the mild-mannered janitor type, but no. Underneath it all, he is a mastermind at adding just a little bit of echo to a Skype call for a podcast. It's quite ingenious, his evil. Anyway, if you want to follow Dan on Twitter, you can do that. It is at DanLevy1, at DanLevy1. We've got some more stuff coming up, though, right after this. Join us as we take another enchanting adventure into the world of the angriest man on Twitter. Oi, Winger! What do you call that performance in midweek? First of all, we let the lead slip against Man City. Then we play like shit in Dortmund. You f***ing c***ing, you c***ing, c***ing, licking You absolute I hope you get on the top of your n- I held the door open in the supermarket for a woman and she didn't say thanks. People these days have absolutely no manners. Next week, another madcap laugh-a-minute romp with the angriest man on Twitter. Everything is shit. More from him as the season goes on, no doubt. Now, um, before we give you the competition winners from last week, I did this um, thing with, I don't know, I should have um, asked them this, I suppose, before I talked about this. But the people who are making this new Arsenal smartphone, um, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like Huai or Huai or I, I don't know. So um, apologies to them. Who Huai, Huai. Hawaii, I don't know, but it's, uh, yeah, it's Hawaii. They, they make this Arsenal smartphone. They put together a video of um, Arsene Wenger being asked questions, and, and I was asked to submit one of the questions, and, you know, given that it was a, a corporate video, you can't really ask him anything um, too challenging because it won't get through. And uh, also it was done way before the transfer window ended, so... Uh, there wasn't the chance to ask the question like, why the fuck didn't you buy any more defenders? Which is, you know, the first question I would have asked in those circumstances. Um, but anyway, uh, the question went through and it was about finance and he gave an answer. But at the very start of it, he, he says, uh, hi, Arse Blog, uh, at the very start. I'm just going to play it for you now because it's Arsene Wenger saying, hi, Arse Blog. One second, here we go. Hi, Arse Blog. Wow. Look, Arsene Wenger said, he said, Arse Blog. But he didn't really, did he? He didn't say arse blog. He said, um... Hi, arse block. Arse block. Arse block. 
My goodness. Maybe I could do like an arse-related Lego website. Arse block. All the pieces are shaped like arses. Anyway, there you go. Arsene Wenger knows about arse block now, and maybe if he goes to arseblock.com, he might he might get a surprise. I don't know what's there. I haven't even looked. So there could be nothing there or, or something. Oh, I should look now. Let's do it live while I'm recording this. Arseblock.com. Server not found. Okay, so there's probably nothing there. There's a business opportunity there for somebody. If you want it, you go ahead. I'm not going to stand in your way. Big Lego-shaped arse pieces. Nah. You can have it. And thank you, Arsene, and thank you, Hawaii, 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 however you pronounce that, because uh, they make the, the new Arsenal smartphone. In, fa- in fairness to them, they put up a website, which is, um, I think it's called arsenalsmartphone.com. Which would make it a, a little bit easier. I'll just check that there. Uh, Arsenal smartphone. Yeah. So you don't have to know what Huawei, Huawei, Huawei is pronounced like. Um, all you have to do is go to arsenalsmartphone.com. So there you go. Anyway, last week um, I gave you a chance uh, to win one of three copies of Stuck in a Moment, the uh, the ballad of Paul Vassen, published by GCR Books, who are at gcrbooks.co.uk. And they've got a whole range of Arsenal books, um, which you can go and check out. But anyway, they gave us three copies of that to give away. I asked you who uh, Paul Vassen scored the goal against, the famous goal against. And if you listen to the interview, we gave you the answer. And that it was, of course, Juventus. And the three winners are, well done to you, Warren Rice, uh, Eric Dunbar, and Arthur Dobransky. So I'll drop you chaps uh, an email, and uh, we'll arrange getting the books sent out to you. So there you go. And uh, just because we've had a miserable week, um, we'll give a give away a copy of the uh, the Ars Blog book, together the story of Arsenal's unbeaten season, which looks back on the 2003-2004 season, of course. Uh, you win a copy of the uh, the lovely Harback book, pack of postcards, illustrated postcards, and uh, you also get a kind of a funky little badge as well. Uh, so that's a little special thing in there that is not on sale, but you can have one of the badges. So all you have to do is tell me what number did Lauren wear in that season? What number did Lauren wear in the 2003-2004 season? Please send your entries to competition at arsblog.com. That is competition at arsblog.com. I'll give you the uh, winners uh, on next week's show. So, um... Still no team news or anything like that, so we're flying blind at the end of this particular podcast. Maybe there'll be some a bit later on tonight, uh, but it's getting late, so I can't really just sit around all night waiting for team news that might or might not appear. Let's keep fingers crossed that Jack Wilshere's available for the game tomorrow against Aston Villa. But I think regardless of Wilshere's um, fitness, I think I'd like to see a couple of changes in the team tomorrow. I'd like to see Sandy Casorla come in, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if we got Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain into the starting eleven uh, for Saturday's game. Uh, Aston Villa can go top if they win, apparently, which is quite the feat. Uh, they've conceded, I think, just one goal, um, and they've secured ten points. I think I heard this on Football Weekly that they've secured ten points despite only having six shots on goal, something like that, you know, in their four games. Um, but they've only conceded one, um, scored four, ten points, which is better than us. Uh, 
And we really do need to get a win under our belts. We still haven't lost in the league, of course, but uh, all these drawn games um, soon count or add up or add up backwards or minusly. Uh, And we have to see a response to what happened on Tuesday night. There was a lot of good to take from last Saturday against Manchester City. The way that we played, not much at all. In fact, nothing good to take from Wednesday, Tuesday, Tuesday night it was. Uh, Nothing good to take from that. Uh, But we've got to respond. I think the manager needs to use his squad and needs to maybe tweak his system. We'll see what happens there. Uh, The game is 3 o'clock on a Saturday. Nice time for a kickoff. Uh, We'll cover the game, of course, on Ars blog, uh, on the live blog. You can uh, follow the game on there. If you're stuck out and about, you can't see the game or you can't find a stream. We'll give you all the up-to-date information, goals and sendings off and highlights. Just follow the live blog. You'll find all the info on arsblog.com on Saturday. So really, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. There'll be an Arscast Extra on Monday. Myself and James uh, will be looking back at what happened at the weekend and ahead to the Capital One Cup, of course, which takes place... um, next Tuesday again my research is very bad I think it's Tuesday uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a team Arsene Wenger puts out there what kind of a defence we're going to put out because given how few defenders we have we might as well we can't really risk any of the good ones just in case they get broken can you imagine the outcry if one of our defenders got knackered in the capital one cup oh my god doesn't bear thinking about it. but we'll be looking ahead to that on on monday's arsecast extra so join us for that thank you for listening and i'll catch you next week on the arsecast regular until then cheers bye-bye I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let the checkbook go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I'll buy you enough defenders to mount a challenge in the Champions League and the Premier League. Hello? Hello? Fuck's sake, that never works. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 